The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. We have our Reporter's Notebook segment in this podcast. The show features Scott Docterman, who looks ahead at the Hawks' road game at Ohio State in the Horseshoe. You'll also hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Ohio State's Urban Meyer. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our regular programs, which include Brent Balbinot and Marv Cook, as well as sports reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and Steve Batter from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show and our other Reporters Notebook podcast with Steve Batterson as well as Brent Balbinat's Press Box Report. The Iowa-Michigan State game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with announcers Beth Mowens and Joey Galloway. We appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Time now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz was asked for his thoughts on this Ohio State team. One thing, I mean, over the years, typically when you go there, you play against a really good football team, and that's the case right now. Uh, they've got guys that look like uh, big-time football players. They play like them. They're, they're coached like them. So they're, they're playing at a really high level, and I think as much as anything, if you look at it, uh, they've got a win streak that's approaching 20 games right now, and you, you don't do that by accident. That uh, it requires good players, good coaching. It requires players that, that understand you got to show up every week, and they've they've done a great job of that now for uh, a year plus. And, you know, it's, it's really hard to, to find weaknesses unless you count inexperience, you know, and that's, uh, they're a little bit inexperienced in some positions, but uh, they still have guys that are very, very capable and the guys that are playing at a, at a really high level. So they're, they're, they're a tough challenge. Ference talks about the differences between current Buckeyes quarterback Braxton Miller and his predecessor as starter Terrell Pryor. They're both really good. I, you know, I'm a good in comparisons. You know, Pryor's playing in the NFL starts in the NFL right now, which tells you the caliber of uh, football player he was uh, when he played for him. And he, he's the last guy that we saw. Uh, and now, now you find a guy who's a little different si- style uh, in terms of size, all that type of thing. But he's fast. He can throw the ball. Uh, this this guy is fast. Throws the ball extremely well, and he can get it down the field, far down the field, and it gets there fast and it's pretty accurate. So it's they just put a lot of pressure on you to you know from the defensive standpoint. For 
us to stop them. And it's going to be tough because they, uh, you know, they threaten you in the passing game. The guys they put out flank outside the box are really dangerous players. Uh, they've got a quarterback that can get it to them, and they've got two outstanding running backs uh, in the backfield. If he caught the quarterback and whoever they play at running back, and it's really whoever they play at quarterback. Ironically, their second team guys have better statistics than their first team guys, but you know they're they're just they've got depth there and they've got real talent. Ferentz talks about the growth of his running game. All throughout my career, you know, because I've been a line coach by trade, it, it's a tough deal when the, when the run gets shut off. And I remember being in games with the Steelers that felt like that. You know, it's just not much fun. But there, there are some teams that are going to make it very difficult for you to run the football. And so you better find some other ways. And uh, it's, it's not a lot of fun, you know, because it's more fun if you can be balanced, certainly. I think it's just, again, unless you're an option team or you're one of those teams that's going to throw the ball 75 times a game, and that's not our aspiration on either end. So uh, it works better if you're balanced, but if you're not, yeah, you got to develop some answers. And, you know, the two drives that we had in that last game that were productive, uh, we actually had three, but uh, two that came up with points. You know, we were, we were throwing the football, and that's, you know, just kind of what it is. And Ference discusses the importance of recruiting the state of Ohio. It is. And um, I think just in general terms, you know, we, we decided, you know, you're always, always, it's like anything you do offensively, defensively, special teams, and then recruiting is really no different. We, we talk about it a lot. We look at things. And, you know, I, I think it just, first of all, you know, we, we can't uh, get the majority of our roster from in-state, unfortunately. I wish we could, but it's just probably not realistic based on history. So we have to go other places, and, and um, you know, typically when we go into another state, we know we're at least starting uh, in an outside lane behind the in-state institution and uh, maybe some other schools, and a lot everybody recruits in Ohio, but we just, uh, if you look around our league, there are a lot of players playing on other rosters that have done well from the state. Uh, they, they can't take them all, and it's a good, it's a good football state, so we, we, yeah, we've been committed to going there. You think, first guy I think about is Micah Hyde, playing for the Packers now, really was under-recruited, and so, yeah, we're always looking for, you know, for good prospects, certainly. No, it never gets easier. It's it's a challenge. Recruiting's always been a challenge. And when you go into a state like Ohio, you're going you're gonna to see a lot of people there. It's it's like a lot of areas right now, and I think recruiting's probably, it's harder to find uh, hidden, you know, gems, if you will, just because, you know, the advent of uh, video and all that stuff, huddle, and it's hard to find guys, hard to sneak guys. Next, we hear from Ohio State head coach Urban Meyer, who was asked to assess his team at the midpoint in this season. Well, I think we all learned, I mean, every week is the first chance I had to watch football this weekend. I watched some volleyball, but I did watch some football as well. And uh, we got to find a way to win this Saturday, and it's not easy. I mean, for, we've been in here for two weeks trying to figure out how to run the ball against this defense. And, you know, they're, they're top 10 in scoring defense, or I think 12th and top 10 in rushing defense and very good players and all that. So... I think I think water cooler talk and good conversation is where are you? How's it going? What's the future look like? Wait a minute. We're just trying to get more. We have a really good practice today, and some people laugh when I say that stuff. But that's the mindset is that I like this team. I really I really do. They're good people. They're they're guys that play hard. I love the fact that the the emotion that I see in the locker room at times and very relatively minor minor issues I'm dealing with. It's I really like this team. Where are we? I don't know. I, I, we're six and zero and doing the best we can to. Uh, uh, get first downs and stop people. I can feel sometimes pressure mounting on players when you streak. You start hearing about streaks. You start hearing about this. You start hearing about that. And it's my job as a coach and our coaching staff is it's all about today. And you know, I just, there's some teams that do an incredible job of that. I think Oregon does an incredible job of just this tight end got in trouble and left or something, and but next guy up go play. That's he's gone. And I think that's every coach's focus is somehow just get to the next day. Meyer talks about the senior leadership on his team. It's uh, I was panicked 
know, panicky uh, going into the season because I thought it was, it was poor. It was certainly poor in the spring. And obviously, when you have issues like we had in the summer, then that questions the leadership of the team. And uh, but I'm not I, I'm not saying it's great yet because they're still only halfway home. But uh, through the first half of the season, they've done a very nice job. There, there's good chemistry, good alignment, and good leadership right now. With all of the commentary on Kirk Ferentz's remarks about never returning punts again, we thought you might find this interesting. Meyer was asked about Iowa's Cavante Martin Manley as a punt returner and Iowa's scheme setting up punt returns. We had two big hits against Western Michigan. Uh, a lot of fair catches. Uh, I just think he's a very good player because I do believe he's an excellent punt returner. Uh, but they, they, they are a hold-up team and so not to get too much detail, but you asked is they, they, they drop people back and they get some double teams on your guys running down the field. So there's two ways of returning punts. We don't do it. We come after people. We give the appearance we're coming after people and then lock on. They don't do that. They drop back and try to get double teams. So it's a very good scheme, but it's a return scheme and a very good player. Urban Meyer was asked about motivating his team and whether it plays with a bit of a chip on its shoulder. I think so. Yeah, I mean, uh, I like to use that a little bit and they respond very well. And at, to this point, I, I saw a little bit of a drop off at Northwestern in the preparation uh, going up to Wisconsin, the Wisconsin game. I mean, it was the entire week felt like rivalry week. And it was really, and I didn't feel that. It was might have been fatigue a little bit, but uh, th- this team at times really plays like that and they're easy to motivate. And Meyer discusses some of the issues he's had with his team's past defense so far this year. I think it's the underneath coverage as well as the, there's a couple glaring ones, and that was, you know, we, we I watched some of those Wisconsin game, and I told our staff this morning, we had a staff, and I said, you know what, you did, a, our defense staff did a wonderful job stopping that run game, because I don't know, I mean, I watch them play, and, and Northwestern's got a fine team, and they ran all over them. So we, we, we really spend a lot of energy and focus on the run game and stopping the run game, and my challenge to them is without sacrificing that, how do we get that same energy and, and focus in the stopping the pass game? And last week we did several things. We're going to continue that this week. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> how many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings. Moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now for another of our weekly reporter's notebook shows. This one features Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles in the Gazette and online at gazette.com and in his blog, Doc's Office. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott looks ahead at the Ohio State game and more. Scott, your closing thoughts on the Michigan State loss and occurrences over Iowa's bye week? You know, I think when you look back at Michigan State loss, I mean, those were two heavyweight fighters, and Michigan State was better in every area. Uh, they were able to do more offense. Offensively, they were able to stifle Iowa's running game, uh, and in fact, more so than I even thought it. Uh, and I think, you know, Iowa had some issues again in special teams, which at this point is starting to, to border on stream. I think we've seen these fake punts over the register over the last few years, and you wonder, when is it going to stop? When is the bleeding stop? And Michigan State took advantage of it. And I think maybe the most distressing thing, distressing thing about that was that uh, Iowa prepared for it. Iowa understood that what Michigan State does, and, and, and yet 
that they were still fooled by it in, you know, after a break in the action. This wasn't just kind of a caught them with their pants down. I mean, they, they, Iowa's wearing a pick me sign when it comes to special teams, and, and they were able to take advantage of it. And then, and then Kirk Ferentz didn't quite realize that his comments were gaining that much traction nationally. But during the bye week, he said he never didn't think he'd ever run a punt back again. And then, of course, that went viral, and, and he kind of didn't understand why necessarily. And I think he needs to choose his phrase a little more carefully, uh, especially when talking about kind of a negative aspect of his team. But they were lucky that they did have the bye week. We figured that health would be an issue uh, against Michigan State. You're going to get banged up, and having a week off help, will help them get some of their players back because otherwise they would have been very depleted if they would have had to play, especially at Ohio State right after uh, playing Michigan State. So they seem to be semi-healthy and ready to go to the most intimidating environment in the Big Ten. Well, let's turn our focus to the Ohio State game. Iowa goes in there in front of an anticipated homecoming crowd of 105,000. The Hawks, of course, sit at 4-2, and 1-1 one and one in the Big Ten. Both teams had their bye week. The last time that Iowa played in Columbus, it was a double overtime loss that decided the Big Ten championship. Ohio State won that game. And this will also be the last time Iowa plays in Columbus until at least 2020. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's the unfortunate part of realignment these days when they when the Big Ten expanded now, starting next year to three you know teams, uh, Nebraska a few years ago and then Maryland and Rutgers. It interrupted some of the rivalries, and we saw that last couple of years with Wisconsin, but once they realign again, you know, Iowa will only play Ohio State in 2017. That's the next time it's on the schedule, and, and that's in Iowa City. So you're going to look at one game from the 2009 epic con- uh, conclusion of that season in the Big Ten to at least 2020, Iowa gets to go to Columbus once. That's unfortunate. I, I really hope that that gets rectified in the future. But that said, you got to take advantage of those opportunities. Kirk Ferentz has two stadiums in the Big Ten that he has not won in. One of them is Columbus. The other one is Nebraska, who's you know, a relatively newcomer into the league. Uh, and this is probably his only opportunity left to do that. I, I don't know if we anticipate him coaching another 10 years. It's going to be, you know, again, a very intimidating environment. But I think Iowa having two games on the road at places where, yeah, you could, you could put Jack Trice, TCF Bank Stadium together and they equal about the size of the horseshoe. But there's, a, a, there's enough hatred among those crowd, that crowd that that actually will help Iowa in the future. You know, playing at Ames, playing at Minneapolis, but those fans are not are pretty hostile to Iowa, so that's better than going to, say, a Pitt or an Arizona where you may not get that kind of reaction. So I think they're going to be ready for that. However, are they going to be ready for the Buckeyes? That's going to be a big question. Well, this is a series dominated at home and away by Ohio State. The Buckeyes are 6-0. and Overall, 2-0 and in the Big Ten. They have the nation's longest winning streak at 18, ranked fourth or third in the national polls depending on how uh, which one you want to look at. They have pretty impressive recent wins against Wisconsin and Columbus and Northwestern and Evanston. They are getting better under Urban Meyer. 18 straight wins under him, no losses. This is a, a program where you kind of figured, uh-oh, you're going to get the kind of the maniacal head coach with the uh, flagship program of the Big Ten. He can make some waves and do it quickly, and he certainly has. No losses thus far. Last year, I think they were kind of a product of, a, of a, maybe a watered-down Big Ten. wasn't very good. Uh, this year, I think the league is a little bit better, and they've been able to take care of uh, business. You know, they've been a good game against Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin had a chance to win, but Ohio State showed just a little bit more explosion on offense. And then uh, we're able to hold a Melvin Gordon in check, which uh, nobody else has been able to do. And then secondly, it, you know, against a game opponent in Northwestern on the road, uh, Northwestern was up to the challenge, just couldn't quite finish it. And uh, here we are, you know, Ohio State uh, 6-0 and uh, looks to be cruising towards a, a, the division championship 
championship and probably their first appearance in the Big Ten championship game here in about six or seven weeks. Ohio State always has outstanding athletes at skill positions. This team is no exception. They have a terrific quarterback in Braxton Miller, a great running back in Carlos Hyde. Those are the starters, but their backups, Kenny Guyton and Jordan Hall, actually have better numbers. Yeah, that's that's the interesting factor with this. Carlos Hyde was suspended for the first three weeks of the season. Jordan Hall came in and filled in more than admirably. He had some terrific numbers. And Kenny Guyton, uh, you know, was, he had thrown t- uh, 10 touchdown passes in two different uh, combined in two games. You know, when Braxton Miller was out with an injury. So that's the story of Ohio State there, that they have enough depth. They can plug in somebody in, in just about any position and be effective. Now, granted, some of those... Uh, games, that those were against opponents that are lesser in quality, and especially against the Florida A&M, which I dare say may be the worst opponent any Big Ten team plays this year. But still, those guys are good, and uh, they, uh, you know, Jordan Hall would start for half the teams in the league and probably start for Iowa, or at least play a lot. So, and Kenny Guyton still leads the league in pass efficiency, so it's it's a challenge no matter who they roll out there, but uh, I, I would say that Carlos Side is probably, next to Melvin Gordon, the best running back in the league, and uh, Braxton Miller may be the most explosive of quarterback in the league. Miller came back after that knee sprain, missed over two games with incredible performances against both the Badgers and the Wildcats. Yeah, and we all kind of expected that. Kurt Ferenczky was asked about the comparison with Terrell Pryor, and, and really between the two, I would say that uh, Pryor maybe is a better passer, but uh, it, it, I, I can't believe I'm saying this after seeing Terrell Pryor a few years ago, but Braxton Miller may be a little bit more explosive as a runner, so uh, you've got to be careful about that, and we saw that with Terrell Pryor and, you know, it's only been a few years ago, but, uh, you know, make rambles against the Hawkeyes, beat them in, at home in 2010. Very good player, but, but Braxton Miller is probably a little bit more dangerous as a runner. So Iowa's going to have to try to keep him in the pocket. That may not be a problem, and this may be one of the weird pluses for the Hawkeyes is that at times they've struggled rushing the passer. Well, if they can't get to the quarterback, at least if they can keep him in the pocket, they may have a chance to kind of collapse the pocket around him and not let him run and do, do things with his legs. But that said, you can't get out of sit back there all day or he will find open. Obviously, the matchups that determine the outcome of games occur among the players on the field, but there are some interesting stat comparisons in this game and just whip down through three or four of them here. Iowa's offense is one of the leaders in the Big Ten in third down conversions. On the other hand, Ohio State's defense is one of the best at, at preventing those things. Iowa's given up five sacks. Ohio State has 16. Iowa's rushing defense is an average of uh, 88.5 yards per a game for their opponents. Ohio State's putting up 281 yards a game. You can go on down and look at some other matchups like that in terms of scoring offense and some of the defensive stats. Really, a lot of sort of head-to-head strengths of each of these two teams. Yeah, I, mean, I think you first you look at the Buckeyes, and even though they, they don't play a similar style of ball, they, they have similar principles as they did under Jim Trestle, and that is they run the football, and they've got a great running back, and they've got a good defensive or offensive line. That's going to be one thing. They want to make it a mission to be the first team to score a rushing touchdown against the Hawkeyes. That's something they've been able to motivate themselves this week. They discussed it over and over again. And that's that's a manhood type of discussion, which is, uh, we know their opponent's strength, and that's stopping the run. Ohio State knows that if they can do something about it, then, then it could pull something in their favor and demoralize Iowa a little bit. Conversely, I think you look at uh, Iowa runs the ball effectively, except for the last game against Michigan State. And Ohio 
Ohio State, despite having six new starters in that front seven, has been surprisingly very effective in, in, in holding uh, opponents down rushing-wise. Uh, they only allowed three rushing touchdowns, less than 87 yards a game, and they did a number against uh, Melvin Gordon, which I don't think anybody else in the country can do. So it, it's going to be strength against strength in some of those respects, which means it's about preparation. It's about attitude. It's going to be about technique. All the little things are going to add up in this game, and it's going to be challenging for Iowa in every single facet, but I thought I saw uh, maybe a little bit more intense Kirk Ferentz on Tuesday than normal. Uh, he didn't seem, you know, at times he's, you know, half-joking or whatever, but he just had that look in his eyes, a little bit more of a demeanor that he wants this game. You could tell. I mean, they twice they denied them big wins. Ohio State did in 2009. Again, overtime loss is a bit the horseshoe, prevented a Rose Bowl appearance, and uh, that was with a backup quarterback. And then 2010, uh, Iowa was incredibly close to winning at Kinnick. It needed that win and, and lost the final minute. So those two losses are, are some of the most difficult to wallow in his career. This is his only chance probably to get a win at Ohio Stadium. So I, I expect a sharp, motivated Iowa performance. And if they can eliminate the mistakes as much as they can, I think they got a chance. Another factor that's always been big in this series in recent years is the turnover margin. Ohio State second in the Big Ten with plus four. Iowa's at plus two. They're fifth in the conference. And the turnover margin has, when it's been in Iowa's favor this year, they've won those four games. When it hasn't, they've lost. Uh, and there, therein lies the uh, the challenge for Iowa. I mean, when you go to a loud, hostile environment like this against a, a team on its homecoming and what have you, you know, I mean, homecoming doesn't really affect teams on the field, but what it does, it affects the, the, the people in the stands, which allows them to get a little louder, a little more boisterous, which can cause, uh, you know, a few lapses on the field. And now, Jake Rudock has had issues a, a few times. You know, one or two a game where he's, he's got an interception. We go back to the beginning of the season. It's a pretty good Northern Illinois team. Through an interception that cost him the game. Through a couple against Michigan State that really prevented any kind of hopes for a comeback. So that's going to be key. You cannot allow, You cannot have a turnover at a critical juncture time down a distance in this game and expect to win. And that's not to say Iowa's going to play perfectly because they're not. They're not going to play perfectly. But if it's in your own territory like inside your 20, you can't fumble you can't throw an interception, and if you're in inside the red zone in, at Ohio State's end of the field, you can't do the same. So to take care of the ball is going to be critical, but you're going to have to take chances in this game. You're not going to be able to just win by you know trying to run the football and playing you know field position ball like maybe against Michigan State that might have been a little more effective. But against Ohio State, those athletes as explosive as they can be, you're going to have to go and, and compete on each and every play and take a few risks. And uh, and if they can do that, if they can uh, take advantage of those, you know Iowa. Iowa have a chance to compete and be in the game in the fourth quarter. In his only two road games as a starter for Iowa, Rudock has shown a terrific amount of composure, both at Iowa State and up in Minneapolis. That'll certainly be key in this game. And Braxton Miller has had a tendency to make some turnovers at key times, and I know Urban Myers addressed that issue with him during their bye week. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, he, last year, you know, his uh, passing percentage wasn't real high. Uh, he's had a lot. Of, he's had his share of mistakes. So if Iowa can play sound defensively, if they can stop Carlos Hyde, if they can keep Braxton Miller in the pocket, and if their secondary can actually not allow any big plays, there's a good chance that they'll have that they'll have an opportunity to do something against him uh, by forcing a bad pass. Uh, you know, this is a game where Iowa's best chance is for Ohio State to get frustrated. And the best way to get frustrated is to be successful against them. Because the, the one advantage of having a big crowd like this in a, in a tense environment, you know, it is you 
could overwhelm the opponent. But if the opponent doesn't get intimidated and compete, then sometimes it can backfire on a home crowd. You can get that angst and anxiety and anger and frustration and potentially even a boo or two. And, and when that happens, then that affects negatively the home crowd. I think Iowa, but Iowa has to play sound defensively. And uh, and they, they certainly cannot allow the opponent to hold the ball for 38 minutes like uh, against Michigan State. If you allow uh, Ohio State to have the ball for 38 minutes, it's going to be like a pinball scoring. <laughs> Ohio State's defense, they call themselves a silver bullet defense, is led by a junior linebacker Ryan Shazier. It's another Big Ten team with a terrific linebacking core. On the other hand, they've lost their one of their team leaders in starting safety, Christian Bryant. And if you look at some of their defensive stats, they sound a little bit like Iowa's. They haven't allowed a run longer than 20 yards this season. Their secondary, which is led by Bradley Roby, ranks fifth in the Big Ten in interceptions. They have seven, and they're holding teams well below their season rushing averages. Wisconsin, for example, only had 104 yards rushing, and they're averaging 350. It, again, it looks like some of the strengths of Ohio State's defense are some of the same strengths of the Iowa defense. Yeah, I think you, you mentioned it first there, Ryan Shazier. He's kind of everybody's middle-of-the-season All-American uh, candidate. He's been the leader. He's been the guy. They've had they had a couple of really good players in the front seven graduating, John Simon and Jonathan Ankin. And Shazier has taken over that leadership role. And also, just from a playmaker point of view, I mean, they try to shield him a little bit. They try to allow him to make plays in space. And then you said Bradley Roby. I mean, he's as good a corner as there is in the, in the league and among the best in the country. You look for him to lock up on whoever the best Iowa receiver is, if that's Kevontae Martin-Manley, if he's healthy and returning, or somebody else. And he's going he's gonna to do a pretty good job on whoever it is. It doesn't matter who it is. So uh, those two would worry me a lot if I'm Iowa. Then secondly, I they've gotten a lot of good contributions from a lot of guys who played some last year but weren't really starters. And I'll go with Joey Bosa, who's a high school uh, teammate of uh, Jake Rudock, St. Aquinas in, in, in uh, Florida. And then you look at Noah Spence, a defensive end type, who's also really good. So they've approved greatly. Now, the question is for Ohio State, and I, I discussed this with Ryan Shavier last night, is that they haven't went against a true zone-blocking team that likes to run downhill that's technically sound. He called them the best technical team in the league when it comes to this. And will they be able to absorb the pounding on play after play that Iowa likes to dish out? That's going to be the big question for Iowa, because if they can if they can establish their will and their ability to run the football, I think they've got a chance to really compete. But if Ohio State's going to sell out on the run, they're going to, they're going to look at somebody like Bradley Roby to be able to lock up the best receiver Iowa has and force Iowa to pass and beat them. That's going to that's going to determine the game for Iowa, or at least determine the, the margin of victory one way or the other. It was kind of fun to watch Kirk Ferentz figuratively, if not l- literally, squirm in his seat Tuesday at the press conference as uh, some of the media folks asked more than once about Kirk's opinion of Urban Meyer and Meyer's impact on the Big Ten and the way it, the coaches operate and so forth. Do you think Urban Meyer's good for the Big Ten? Yes, I do, and I can understand why Kirk Ferentz had a lot of angst. I asked him a couple of different ways about Urban Meyer. He didn't seem to want to answer it in an in a, you can tell that he doesn't have a lot of love for him. Maybe he respects him, but you know they're not best buds sending each other Christmas cards, you know, Girl Scout cookies in February. So uh, I think he's good for the Big Ten because we've seen the Big Ten slumber since really 2006 and 2007 when Ohio State lost back-to-back PCS title games. Uh, the Big Ten is slowly slipping, and you're seeing kind of an inferiority complex with the SEC. You've seen the Pac-12 take major steps forward, and then certainly out in the ACC 
ACC this week. We've got a big game there. So the Big Ten needs to make itself relevant. They need coaches. Coaches are the reason for this. You look in the Southeastern Conference, and Nick Saban is the best coach in the country. Nobody disputes that. But Urban Meyer is right up there, and Les Miles is right up there. And they were the three horsemen, you know, three of the guys in the uh, SEC that, you know, led them to what is it now, you know, seven different titles or six different, uh, you know, national titles over that, the last decade. So what you need is excellent coaching. He, he enables that, that everybody, in order to keep up, they have to do what's right and what's and in order to win and keep up. Because otherwise, if you're Michigan and you lose multiple times in a row to Ohio State, your fans won't forgive you. If you're the other teams in the league, if you want to compete at a high level, you've got to do what Ohio State does. So he let, raises the level of everybody's intensity and their recruiting. And that's only something that's good to believe. Your keys to this game, your prediction? My keys are Iowa, will you be able to run the football? If not, forget it. If they can run the football and be powerful at the point of attack on both sides of the line of scrimmage, Iowa will be able to compete barring the two unknown quantities, which are turnovers and injury. If if not, if Iowa is bottled up in the running game for the second straight game and they're forced to rely on the pass, if they're not able to slow down Carlos Hyde, if they're allowing Braxton Miller to get out of the pocket, it could be a really long day for, for the Hawkeyes. Iowa's 2-19 at, at Ohio Stadium since 1959. This is not the most talented team Iowa's taken there, certainly, and, and some of the best teams they've taken there have lost and lost decisively. I think Iowa can compete, but thinking they can do it and actually doing it are two different things. So I'm going to take Ohio State 34-13 Saturday in Columbus. Before we close out here today, just talk a little bit about where we think this Iowa team is right now. Most observers seem to agree that this team looks better, whatever that means, looks better than the 2012 squad, yet record is the same at the same point uh, as it was last season. A lot of the key stats are very similar between the two years. The question is, sitting on four wins, can this Iowa team push through and get to at least bowl eligible, if not more, which last year's team was not able to do? You wrote a story this week relating to Ferentz coach teams in recent years having the ability to beat one or more BCS teams since, uh, I think it was 2007. Just talk about where you think this team is and how it might be different than 2012 and whether it can get there. I think first you look at this team and you say, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. They are much more stout up front. They are stopping the run with more regularity. They had a lot of trouble with that last year, and you started to see kind of the shell break midway through the season, and it really kind of fell apart late in the year. And I think you, you look at the first, the, the two defensive tackles, Carl Davis and Louis Trank at the side, are so much more improved than they were last year. I mean, Carl Davis was on roller skates a lot. He didn't have a lot of power because of a knee injury, and Louis Trank at the side was, was a, a guy out there that was working hard, but he just he was too young and experienced. So it was not good enough to really compete game after game and be a, an effective player. I think both of those players have turned into excellent defenders. And I think you look at that defensive end. You know, Dominic Alves is, you know, last year he was coming off an ACL and that didn't work out real well. And I, I think you look at him, he is stout against the run. He is a decent pass rusher, but his forte is really taking challenging people head up and being able to stifle people in the hole. And I think that's really good. Drew Ott is a younger guy. He's, he's making some plays. He's making some strides. He's got a little ways to go. But by the mere presence of the defensive line, it's enabled the linebacking core, which was really good last year, to gain a claim that they deserve because this is a very good linebacking core. This is as good as it is in the Big Ten, and dare I say one of the top three or four in the country. But last year, too often you had offensive linemen get into those linebackers because of the defensive line play and, and really not allow them to do what they do well. This year they're allowed they're more positioned to make plays because the defensive line is, is holding their two-gap scheme a little more effectively. And then I think you look 
look at the offense side of the ball and you're seeing an evolution. Uh, last year, it was uh, oil and water with James Vandenberg and uh, Greg Davis. They just weren't meshed at all. You saw Greg Davis want to do things his way. You saw James Vandenberg uncomfortable with that, and it really didn't do very well on the field. So you're, you're seeing a more of a collaboration between Jake Rudock, probably Kirk Ferentz, and Greg Davis in, in building a more cohesive passing attack. So I think those are the two areas I look at at this team. After this week, and I, and I think they can compete in Ohio State. They just have to play at a higher level than I, uh, that I see. But after this week, they play five teams that I think they've got a chance to beat any of them. And, and that is, you know, Northwestern, not the most physical stand, uh, team in the country. A little bit beat up. They've got a finesse offense. It's going to be hard to, to control, but they've got an opportunity. Wisconsin is the best of the remaining opponents after Ohio State. And then Purdue, that should be a win for Iowa. And uh, in your last two games, uh, Michigan and Nebraska are beatable. They're not the Michigan and Nebraska we saw in, say, 1997. So I like this team. I think it's getting better. I think they're they're getting themselves a position to kind of take another step forward maybe next year, where last year I didn't see that out of this team. I, I saw them just kind of treading water, and then when they started playing teams, I mean, Penn State shell-shocked them, and they just never recovered. Even if they get beat at Ohio State, which I think most people would expect, I think you see them on Sunday morning, Monday, coming right in with a, with a can-do attitude, or maybe we didn't see that last year. As you referenced, the last six years, Iowa has, has uh, beaten uh, an either a BCS qualifying team or a 11-win team in each of every season, and they're 5-3 and three over that span against teams that qualify for the BCS. The, the three losses, two were to Ohio State by combined six points, and the other was Wisconsin by one point. So they've hung in with the, the best when they compete against them. Does that translate to Saturday? We'll, we'll only, the time will only tell. But I think there's enough of a track record there that shows that Iowa is capable of, of base drives, competing, playing at a high level. Forecast for tomorrow, a few sprinkles of genius for the chance of doom. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. And you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights this week, and as always, thanks to Scott Docterman. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll think about participating by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. You can call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone.
Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.